You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, welcome to episode 69 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host Bart Bouchotts and this is the show for June 2019. Well, I'm delighted to say I get to bring you an interview show this month. Um, I sat down and recorded with special guest Steve Sheridan a few days ago and we had a very enjoyable conversation about time-lapse photography. So rather than going to a whole big preamble, I'm just going to cut straight to my interview with Steve, recorded a few days ago. Blink! Hi Steve, welcome to Let's Talk Photography. Um, So you're a a new guest to the show, um, but I think a lot of our listeners probably are aware of you through (laughs) the connection with a certain Alison Sheridan. So you're Steve Sheridan and you you happen to be married to a certain pod-footed person. Yes, I yes I am, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to the subject matter. Well, it's it's my absolute pleasure, and thank you for agreeing to do it. Um, it's I very much appreciate you giving away of your time. So, if people know the Nasilla Cast, they know that Allison is the on-air voice of the Nasilla Cast. But you are very much the you know behind the scenes logistically. You're extremely involved in that show, and and very much a, a partner of Allison's to to produce that show to such a high quality uh, as it is. Well, well, thank you. And I I do get involved, but I am not one to get in front of the camera and typically not in front of the mic. I, I prefer being behind both. But <laughs> this was important enough that I, I was willing to be in front of the mic. Yeah, I say, I, I'm, I'm sort of with you on cameras. I avoid them as much as I can. You and Rankin every now and then convinces me to, to come on screen, as does Chuck Joyner. But it's every now and then. I, I, I have a face for radio, I believe is the phrase. <laughs> Or podcasting. Or podcast. Yeah, exactly. Radio of a sort. Anyway, I was uh, perusing my Twitter the other day. Mm -hmm. um, And through my Twitter came a post by you, a video you posted. um, And it was a time lapse of a monarch butterfly going from a little pupus hanging from the eaves of a house, perhaps your house. and then emerging into that amazing, I mean, for people who don't know the monarch, um, unfortunately, we don't have them in Ireland. So I only know them from seeing photographs and videos from the States. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think of them as being like vividly orange with like a stained glass pattern, these very strong black lines along the wings. Yeah. Yeah. They are beautiful butterflies. They're quite large. And they are the king of the butterflies, in my view, and the aptly named. Uh, they're beautiful. And w- the other thing about monarchs is they, their stages from caterpillar to chrysalis to butterfly are so strikingly different in their appearances. It's just, I mean, that's true with most butterflies, mm. but in this case, it's strikingly different in coloration. Right, because that orange is, is, is wow. Like, it, it's not a little bit orange. It, it's, yeah, they're yeah very... it's about as deep orange as you can get. And and the caterpillars are a bright green and black stripe with some yellow, black, and green and very vivid themselves, um, and get quite large. They get to be maybe an inch and a half, some of them two inches long. And are they big and furry, or are they the, sort of the skinnier you know, caterpillars? Real smooth, uh, very soft, squishy kind of caterpillars, but maybe not quite the size of your pinky, Not, but maybe three-quarters of the size of a of a standard pinky. Okay, so that's not insubstantial. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the chrysalis, we haven't even talked about that. That's beautiful in itself. It's this... Uh, iridescent green that is not symmetric and it's got kind of a, a black and gold border around one side that shines on the light and it's just just a beautiful chrysalis. Would you say jade colored maybe? Yeah, yeah, maybe a, a pearlescent jade. Wow, yeah. I, I mean, obviously the, the time lapse starts given that it's the butterfly emerging and starts with the chrysalis, but I, I think with the lighting the, the green doesn't quite come through well, a strong, maybe as it might. Well, so it goes through stages, um, and the last stage right before birth or hatching, I'm not sure what to call it, right before the monarch emerges, hmm. the chrysalis itself becomes clear. And so oh. it becomes dark because it's it starts reflecting or, or allowing through the color of the monarch itself. 
the monarch that's been formed but is squished in that chrysalis. So it loses the green color slowly over a day or two, starts turning dark, and that's when you know it's about to pop. Ah, so it gives you a little clue to to get your yes. uh, y- your your videography set up. Interesting. Yes, which is very important for time lapse. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is the thing. So, time lapse is one of those strange things because this is let's talk photography, and I haven't generally. I mean, I don't have a a religious objection to talking about video on this show because to me, videography is photography plus plus. I mean, it, it's everything that's true of photography is true of videography. But for videography, you need more. You, you can't just set a video camera, you know, static and let it go. But a time lapse really straddles the two. Um, yes. I, I really have difficulty categorizing it because it's yeah, yeah, it's still photography, and it moves, and it yeah. really messes with time in a way. Like photography is great for messing with time, whereas video ten is on average more real time. Right, right. So I, uh, first of all, let me caveat this by saying my background is comes from videography, not much photography. Allison kind of takes care of that in, in our household. So I'm the videographer. Um, but, and there are a couple ways to do time lapse. There's a photography way of performing it, and there's right. a, vid- a video way of doing it. And both of them I consider time lapse, but one is a, sometimes a little easier than the other. Um if you start with a photography-based time-lapse, you are taking still frames and then com- putting them together to manually or in some automated way form mm-hmm. a, vid- a video. But you can also just take a video of something and effectively speed it up to to form the time-lapse. So you can and take stills and treat them as the frames in a video, or you can take mm-hmm. a video and throw away 90% of the frames and compress time that way. Effectively, yes. Um, and I do more of the latter, but I have done the former. And Interesting. They each have their pros and cons. Yeah, my if only experience with, with time lapses with GoPros. Right. And I would very much say the the I would, I guess like like Alison, I'm a photographer first who dabbles in videography, and so mm-hmm. for me the natural approach was to take you know a big multi megapixel image. Uh, which I could then do a Ken Burns through and thereby save myself the bother of having to do really difficult camera moves and time lapse and just, you know, just basically shoot far too much and then and Ken Burns my way through the finished product. Right, right. I will say if you do, if you use the photography method for time lapse, you are probably dealing with much greater volumes of data because typically the photos have higher resolutions than the video frames. Yes. And depending on how many you've taken, um, you can be talking about a lot of data with yes. with individual photos. Um, yeah, I can I can vouch for that. The, the limiting factor for me using the GoPro was always how big a memory card can I shove into this thing? <laughs> yep, that is that is one of the limiting factors with uh, time lapse. So it's all about messing with time. So I guess the first mm-hmm. question I have is. The monarch butterfly, I mean, the video is a few tens of seconds long of this butterfly emerging from its from its pupus, but how how much, you know, earth time was in that time lapse? The total time for that particular time lapse, and that would be from when the, the monarch first starts emerging from the chrysalis to uh, when the wings are, I call them dried out, yeah. is about an hour. Oh, okay. Because I, I genuinely had no idea whether we were looking at, you know, a day's worth of activity or five minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea how long it takes a butterfly to do its thing. But I played with that a little bit because uh, the stages, when it first comes out of the chrysalis, that is a very rapid, that takes maybe 30 seconds, maybe 45 uh-huh. seconds. And then the process of hanging on the chrysalis as the wings dry out and start to grow. That's the long duration stuff. So I changed ah. the time. That's not all the same time lapse. There's less time lapse in when he's first emerging and then more time lapse over the 45 minutes as the wings dry out and enlarge. Interesting. So what we're seeing is so you're, you're really messing with time. You're, yes. you're, you're not just I constant speed. You're, you're, you're completely messing. With, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and that happens a lot. Some well, it depends on on your subject matter, of course. Right. But there are I feel I have artistic license to do that mainly uh, to keep the the scene and the video interesting. 
Because right, no one but you're, you're to... telling a story, right? That's that's the point yeah. of this. You're trying to let us see a reality that, at the time scale we humans exist at, we don't see. Right, right, and that is one of the beauties of timeline. In fact, I I have a, I guess a a corollary or a hypothesis that photos and videos are more interesting and engaging if they give the viewer a different perspective from how they would normally see an event or a scene. And that can be in either mm-hmm. the dimension of time or spatial or exposure or even frequency band. Just just put a or camera point of view or point of view perspective. Yeah, that's to me one of the things that can make it's not essential, but it can make a video or a photograph different and engaging to the audience. To the I viewer. couldn't agree more. I, I think that is that's to me where photography really gets fun is, is when you do things mm-hmm. like you know, a very, very fast shutter speed to, to, to freeze a detail you would never see or a very slow shutter speed to smooth out things yes. you'd never see or a very long exposure to see detail you wouldn't see or, you know, it, mm-hmm. that's what photography that is most fun to me or, you know, get down stupid low to the ground and like yes. a, a, a wide angle lens with a daisy taking up 90% of the foreground and a massive building taking up half the frame behind, you know, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that kind of mucking about is is great fun, I think. And I think time-lapse falls into the same category because it's a time frame that normally you would not view or be able to see. And even if you're very patient, your mind just can't compress that easily. But you're you're kind of giving that audience a, a unique view of the world. Yeah, and I guess the inverse then of, of a traditional time-lapse would be the slow-mo mode that's now becoming popular uh-huh. on phones, which lets us mess with time in the other direction. Right, yeah. Anything that's different. I mean, that extends in video or photography to other things like uh, taking a photo or video with infrared or different wavelengths or yes. drone videos that see things from a very high perspective or or tilt shift where you're you're making large things appear small you know it it, yeah, it goes yeah. all over all dimensions i think give the viewer something different to see that they normally wouldn't yeah or macro i guess is another perfect example you're in a you're transported to a world of it turns the banal the everyday into something interesting <laughs> Mm-hmm. HDR, I think, falls into that. The yeah, certainly a well-executed HDR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, back to the the duration. It's about a, an hour video. I, I altered the time lapse, but the key is to me is um, is preparation for the shot, and it's you know it's right. true with photography as well. But the difference with videography uh, time lapse is that you have another consideration, which is things that occur during the long duration of the lap time lapse. Yes. Um, whereas photography is often more real time, not always, but often. So you have to consider many things that might occur during that one hour or whatever duration your time lapse occurs, like shadows that may come in. Um, yeah. You know, move, movement in the background that might be unwanted because you're talking about an hour, maybe five, maybe 12 hours, depending on your subject. Yeah, and I mean, if you really get carried away, you can do time lapses that cover a year by having very carefully created tripod marks for yourself. I mean, you see these kind of things. Um, yes. They, they sometimes make astronomy picture of the day where someone captures the position of the sun at exactly noon from yes. the same place every day. So the, I think the most famous one I saw was with the Acropolis in the background. Yes. In, in and Greece. It shows that figure, figure eight motion yeah. of the sun over the year exactly exactly and so that takes i mean the, the, that takes more planning than i the, than i can imagine and perhaps more reliable weather than i am accustomed to <laughs> um exactly. yeah but even you're right even over an hour shadows move quite a lot mm-hmm. and and you can use that to your advantage sometimes because that's another effect that you can play with but you got to make sure it doesn't interfere with your subject matter right not a distraction in addition um right. My my biggest foray into time lapse is clouds because in Ireland we're we're first in line from those very moist southwesterly Atlantic winds, and mm. at the human level, if you see clouds moving, you think they just move, as in they start on the left and they go to the right, but as mm-hmm. soon as you Insulate. speed them up, they don't. They actually bubble out of nothingness. Yes. exist for a while and then dissipate into nothingness. Yeah, and it's a weird effect. It's a really weird effect where they roll. And so you can actually sometimes see pressure points in the atmosphere. There's obviously a difference in pressure. And air comes in, becomes a cloud, 
and then moves out and yeah. ceases to be a cloud. And you it, only it, yeah. see that when you mess with time. And in that case, the shadows are completely your friend because they're moving across this landscape as the clouds are, you know, moving by. And they give you a great sense of time if you have, say, a tree whose shadow is slowly, you know, moving counterclockwise or whatever. Right. You can use it to your advantage done the right way. But if it surprises you, if, for example, you're trying to get this beautiful shot of the butterfly emerging and halfway through the sun pokes around the eaves of the house and completely blows out the camera. Well, whoopsie-daisy. That's what I'm talking about. So, okay, actually, before we go into the... Because I want to talk about the planning, but Mm -hmm. can we we step back actually one little bit? So, in terms of equipment, I'm guessing, you know, 10 years ago, we would have had to have a fancy video camera or maybe a DSLR with an intervalometer. But what are you what are you actually using these days? Well, as I said, most of my um most of my video is or time lapse is done with video. So right. it's just a, a a consumer prosumer level video camera and it just does I don't even do 4K, 1080p. Which is um, plenty, right? Yeah, I I think so. Um, some people might disagree, but for what I'm doing, I'm not selling my my stuff. I'm not, you know. I suppose the one argument for 4K is that you can then crop into it in post and do, you know, Ken Burnsy zooms and stuff if you want to, and then still produce yeah. 1080p output. Yes, and I just, I guess I haven't invested in one yet. I I, I may someday and as we move on to 8K. <laughs> well, I suppose, yeah. Actually, yeah, you're right. As 8K becomes a thing, the 4K camera is going to become way more affordable. But of course, yeah. most of us have a pretty darn capable camera in our pocket these days because while while it's true to say that we've talked on this show regularly, in fact, recently, you know, if we did, we did look at Apple, the winners of Apple's photography competition, like a modern smartphone is a darn good still camera. And it's my impression it's also a fairly decent video camera. Now, I'm not experienced enough to to comment on that with any sort of certainty, but would you would you say it's fair to say that our, our modern phone cameras are at least decent? Oh, no question at all. In fact, they can do the job pretty well. In fact, the Monarch video you saw was done from my iPhone. Uh-huh. It was not done from my, my camcorder. Um, and the the way I draw the line is if I don't need to do any special exposures or you know the even the iphone can handle quite a bit Mm. but um i have a few more manual settings on my camcorder but most importantly i have a really good zoom uh optical zoom Ah, and there are some things i just needed i need the zoom to get a good quality image and for instance the total eclipse i needed to zoom in pretty far to capture yeah, and you can't and get closer iPhone. to the sun. You can get closer yes. to a butterfly, but getting closer to the sun is, you know, you need Elon Musk yes. for that. So, exactly. So, if I can do it with my iPhone, I will, but I often have done compressed video with my yeah. camera. And we should say, actually, the iPhone has a mode for doing time lapse, which is spectacularly clever because it solves the you have too much data problem. Mm-hmm. By for the first while it keeps a lot of frames, and then as you keep recording, it starts to throw away some of its old frames, and effectively it alters the frame rate as it goes. And the longer you keep recording, this you know the, the fewer frames per minute it keeps. And so at the end of it, you're going to end up with a video about thirty seconds long, and you're going to end up without you losing all the space in your iPhone, which is I think pretty darn clever. Yeah, they were very smart about it. Uh, again, the Monarch. Uh, video was done with time lapse on the iPhone but I cheated as I said so I took I brought that time lapse video into final cut to do the compression and expansion of those two phases I talked about earlier right yeah and, and of what, course that wasn't easy I guess I could have done it on the phone but I just prefer working on a desktop for that kind of thing I I would be with you too cuz even when I'm stitching together stills into a video um I'll start off by batch processing them with a photo editing app to apply the identical white balance to all of them, um, you know, to apply the same contrast, brightness, whatever adjustments, basically, you know, make one perfect and then stamp and paste that adjustment across all of them, which takes quite a while sometimes. Because um, like I say, they're big files and a lot of them. And then I'll run them through an app that will turn those into an MP4 file, and then it's off to Final Cut I go. 
and that's mm-hmm. where you really get to have fun. So I'll bring them into Final Cut at a stupidly big size. Then I'll choose whether I want to zoom or Ken Burns or do any sort of fun stuff. And then I'll ask Final Cut to spit me out a final 1080p. And then I have absolutely no choice but to throw the original stills and the intermediate video in the bin because they're so big I can't keep them. Yep. That's a similar process that I go through, especially if I'm taking um, photographic stills. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. Okay, so Final Cut again is your your tool of choice. Okay. Yes. So when you come to planning these things, are there any particular apps or anything that that help you at the planning stage? And or or maybe maybe it's about how you think about it. Maybe maybe that's a better question. Um, there is a process I go through, and it's very subject matter dependent. But there are there are some general guidelines that apply. I think across all time lapse video or photography, and and number one is plan up front. Yes, <laughs> like any like any good photograph, you want to plan in advance so you're not surprised when you actually get on scene. It's um, very hard to respond correctly when you're under time pressure. There's something happening in front of you. You're not capturing it. It's not It's not going to stay there. And at that stage, you begin to fret, you begin to panic, and you'll probably right. do the wrong thing by mistake. So, yeah, thinking right. before is definitely worth its weight in gold. And particularly so if you have a a time-critical event, event that is going to occur once, like an yeah. eclipse. You got one shot at it. Um, so... But other general principles um, for for uh, time time lapse is you need to have a steady mount for your camera, preferably a tripod or something that's not going to move throughout the duration, and right. that's considering wind and other buffeting. Um, so you really don't want to even be touching the camera in any way, if possible, yes. during the time the entire time lapse duration. There are some exceptions to that, and I encountered one with my Eclipse video, and that is. I wanted to have video of the full of the sun as it was in partial eclipse moving into totality and then emerging. Yeah. But to to do that you have to have a solar filter on your lens otherwise you'll burn out your sensor. Even even when the sun is just that sliver of of a uh, partial eclipse, that's enough to hurt a sensor. Yeah, I mean, I, I've experienced one total solar eclipse and the difference between 99% of totality and one percent of totality is almost nothing. It's imperceptible. You don't, you don't feel there's anything going on. It's like, oh, I think I need a jumper. But uh-huh. the difference from ninety nine percent to a hundred is like a dimmer switch. It is, and that's what draws people to to total solar eclipses. Um, that's why people become eclipse chasers. Is that experience is so unique, and and it it really it's almost emotional in some ways. Well, it's, it's very weird, right? Because I know what twilight is like. And twilight is a very asymmetric thing. There is a bright horizon and a dark horizon. Yes. In an eclipse is the only time I have ever stood in darkness with the entire 360 horizon bright. Yes. And it's so unusual. Even before totality, uh, with that last sliver... It, it the light appears so different, not just because it's dimmer, but because it's coming from such a focal, a, a, a small point in space. Normally, mm. light is diffused. I mean, there's the, the main source, the full sun, but it's also diffused, which fills in a lot of background and side information. You yeah, don't I mean, get it's that big softbox, I suppose. <laughs> exactly, but when it's when it's just about to go total, you've got a point source and mm. that collimated light. It's not laser collimated but it's it's so narrow it makes things look different on the ground especially actually shadows will actually often have the shape of the crescent sun yes they do for small openings you can create your own little light box yeah um one of the tricks is if you want to impress kids of the solar eclipse and you don't want to spend any money bring a colander (laughs) yeah yeah. because you will cast lots of crescents with that colander you will Yes, it, it is very so, weird, and the animals yeah. tend to go a bit batty because they're like, "This is you know, it's not time to go to sleep. What's going on here?" And so you hear a lot of barking and mooing, and you know, whatever nature is around you, generally being confused. The birds won't know what's going on. Unfortunately, yeah. stinging insects can get cranky and just just sting, which is very annoying. Fortunately, I was not in an area with stinging insects, but I can oh, I can imagine that. Yeah, because <laughs> basically. 
the other thing that I observed is that sometimes the the wind will die down, uh, maybe because the solar activity is, you know, heating is less, but it sh- seems to change the local weather rather rapidly. I that imagine just, the stronger the sun is. So if you're in an area like, was it Utah was one of the last places you went eclipse chasing? Uh, it was Oregon. Oregon, sorry. Yeah, okay, that's probably not as close to the equator. I guess if you're somewhere where the sun is particularly, if it's the middle of the day and the sun's heat is a real factor in the local weather, having it gone, mm-hmm. that, that I mean, that's got to like, be like a sea breeze style effect, right? Yeah, and that actually was pretty warm. We were out in the desert part of Oregon and it was in the 80s uh, when okay. the sun was up. So it got warm, not not desert-like, but almost. And it, it changed dramatically. It just brings yeah. a hush over the scene. Um, but there are other other considerations on time-lapse, um, and that is if, if you're going to be uh, filming something that is moving, you need to consider the, the movement over the frame during the time-lapse. Right. Like the sun. So you got to – that takes a lot of planning because – if you want the sun to appear while it's doing some activity, like the partial partial phase right before total totality in one end of the frame hmm. and emerging at the other end, you pretty much have to point that at some location where you expect totality to be centered and know when to start and know when to stop that uh So that's that when video. Your, your astronomy apps start to come into play here then. Yes. Yes, and there are a few good ones out there. Um, I'm trying to recall. Well, it's the photographer's ephemeris is is a good one for all these kind of things. Um, it's not strictly an astronomy app; it's more about the position of the sun and moon. But in the case of a solar eclipse, that's both of those things. Yes, yes. Uh, the one I use is Luminos, and it seems to be good for all of the celestial activities. Oh, very good. Okay, um, I might ask you to pop me a link to that for the show notes. I will do that. Yes. Actually, we should note. say, by the way, that there will be links in the show notes to both the Monarch Butterfly video we started talking about and also um, your Eclipse video from, that was from the Oregon one, was it? Yes, that was the what they called the Great American Eclipse because yes. it, it, it had totality across the continental U.S. Which and nowhere else. Rare. No other continent got to play in totality. It was all yours. For that one. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> that that's rare it is yeah i mean i mean you know america's a big continent but eclipses happen over a fairly long streak so it's rare enough yeah yeah um but the only downside was we were at kind of the you know how eclipses have um maximums for duration and that maximum yes. was to- further towards the east coast we were not we were close to the beginning of the eclipse so it was only about between two and a two and a half minutes, I think. Uh, where well, that's some pretty people, good still, two and a half minutes. That's not bad. Some people got to enjoy three plus minutes. And we're talking, you know, seconds of difference, but every second counts with the total eclipse. <laughs> sure. I mean, as I've only experienced the one and we were actually clouded out, which meant that we got a lot of the experience, but not the full experience. Mm-hmm. And we were at two minutes, 10 seconds, which that's long enough to start noticing how weird the world has gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's a good duration. And what I'd love to do sometime, actually, is to be at, at a coast, because apparently if you're on a height, you can see the shadow race towards you, because that's what's happening, right? You're being hit by the earth, by the, by the shadow of the moon streaking across yes. the earth. And it's not that big on the earth. You, you might think it's as big as the moon, but it's not, um, because of the penumbra and umbra. Yeah, it's because the, the sun is not a point source of light, which means that the right. cone cast you, you take the two edges of the sun draw each of them to the two edges of the moon and then you take the narrowest cone and that's where the big shadow is whereas right. if it was a point source it'd be inverted and it would be the widest cone right and so that cone is i think just well it probably depends a little bit on the the particular eclipse but it's it's measured in a few kilometers not not in you know hundreds of miles yeah and it's, and it's racing along at a fair speed as well which is why you, you know you're never going to get more than your three and a bit minutes of totality Right. It's, it's generally well over a thousand miles an hour, sometimes 1500. You know, it's traveling faster than the sun would appear to be traveling across the uh Yeah, because the, the moon's motion, it's all adding up in, in strange ways. Right. Anyway, yeah, no, it's, it's, we got, we got that effect somewhat in Oregon. Um, we got to see that shadow approaching us because there were mountains 
um, in the distance and we can oh. see that. Sh- now it's not as crisp as we thought it might be, but you could definitely see the, the darkness emerging and approaching you and then you, it's upon you. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were on the moon or somewhere with no atmosphere, the line would be really crisp if there was an eclipse of any sort. But yeah, our atmosphere will diffuse anything. So yeah, I wouldn't expect it to be crisp. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you've intrigued me now with this concept of, you know, the, the, the sun... Well, look, as an astronomer, I know this all too well. Everything in the sky appears to move because we're rotating constantly. So you're mm-hmm. figuring out, okay, so I want to capture, say, half an hour before totality, totality. Actually, no, you probably want to capture from the moment of first contact to the moment of fourth contact. Yeah, a little bit before. Um, I like to get some of the crescent, uh, crescent sun in this case. But yeah, uh, uh, the total duration, uh, uh, let's say you've got a two-minute um, total, period of totality i would probably capture another minute on either side of that at least okay and if the other possibility to do with the solar eclipse is to capture the really big sweep of things yes and Uh, to go right from you know so so first contact from an astronomer's point of view first contact is when the first bite comes out of the sun a second contact is actually oh actually i know i'm not going to keep talking because i'm going to get it wrong that's because I haven't prepared. I'm going to stop talking now before I make an idiot of myself. But anyway, the point is from the first nibble out of the sun to the last nibble out of the opposite side of the sun is quite a few hours. Yes. Yes, which it means is. It's, much, it's much longer than the period of totality. Yeah. So if you wanted to capture that, you would need either some sort of motorized mount, in which case we're into ooh expensive. Yes. Or a wide angle lens. Right. And... Time. Uh, there's, a third, there's a third way to do it. Uh, cheating. Cheating. Well, cheating is fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I kind of did this a little bit for um, a later thing I did, which was a collage of a few phases of the eclipse. Yeah. Um, and, and those were captured from my video camera, not from stills. And to do that, I actually repositioned the video camera during some phases but I made sure that that center phase, I didn't touch anything and it remained frozen. Uh-huh. And, and then, and the way, and okay. the way I could do that is uh, when you, when the sun is exposed, any part of it, you have mm. to have the, the solar filter on. And when you do that, the, the sky, the rest of the sky is black. Like totally black. Like it's, it's totally like wearing black. welding glasses. Like it, it, it's Correct. not just a little bit black. It's completely a hundred percent black. And no stars, nothing else shows through. So you can kind of cheat with the background a little bit. That is, you can have a frame here in the lower left, move the camera as the sun comes up to the right, move your video camera, uh, and then center it up again, if you will, center the sun in the center of the frame and do it again a few times. And later you can go back and take those, say, frame grabs, Mm. screen, and then put them together in a collage is which is what i did because you've got black backgrounds you can merge them together and just make one large larger frame that includes a bunch of smaller frames diagonally spaced together and you fill in the rest of the black that's almost a video equivalent of a very common stills technique where you would basically take a picture every five ten minutes and then instead of having them as a moving image basically stamp them collapse them into one final shot that shows all of it as a a progression of time across the frame. Exactly. Yeah, it's very similar. I'll drop this in the in the Discord chat here, but um, and so and I'll give you a link to that. The other way I was thinking of cheating would be I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but it just occurs to me as something I might give a go if I if I had the the opportunity would be to bring two cameras with me because you know you can never carry too much gear halfway around the world. <laughs> Um, and two tripods, obviously. And so set up a wide angle one where I had figured it out that I would get, you know, a little bit of time before the first nibble, everything across and then have it exiting the frame at a nice point at the last nibble. So I have a wide enough lens to make that work and set that up and leave that going. And then bring a camera that, with a zoom lens on it and use that to capture the, you know, your, like you were saying, your little bit before your totality and your little bit after. And then mm-hmm. you could stitch that together into a, into a single video Um you know, by at the appropriate moment, cutting into your other time lapse. 
Yes. In fact, I did have a second camera. I had a GoPro, which is pretty wide angle. I mean, they're very they're very wide uh, angle. Yeah, <laughs> they they can be. I didn't have it on the widest because I didn't need to, but I had it on a fairly wide angle. Hmm. But I used it more for um, capturing audience reaction to the eclipse. Which is actually think, one of the things that made your video very powerful is that you left the mic running. Yes, I, I actually have two videos. One is just, a, I think, a 30-second time lapse with just the sun going through totality. The other is a, a, a cutting back and forth from the audience to the eclipse as, as it proceeded with audience reaction and, and audio. And I find and the audience reaction of- is very powerful. Yes. And it's an interesting technique, actually. If if you're in a situation where you're with a lot of people and you can't get like a pristine nature scene or whatever, it's sort of swimming into the current instead of trying to swim against it can be very rewarding. I see this in a really, really, really different place to eclipses and stuff is um, if there's a steam train doing some sort of special trip and it's very popular... You, what you probably want is the postcard style shot of, you know, some spectacular mountain scenery and a Scottish railway line with the old steam engine coming through and it's glistening paint and the sun shining on it and everything's perfect and there's not a human inside, just a few sheep. But of course, uh-huh. 20,000 other people had the same idea. <laughs> right. And a lot of them will bring step ladders and stuff and try to outdo each other to try to get the shot. And there's one photographer I follow on Flickr who does the exact opposite. He walks about a hundred yards back and he includes as part of his photo the spectacle of everyone taking their photo. Yes. And because he moves back far enough that it's not in the way, it's part of the picture, he ends up telling a story of how exciting steam is to people. And he doesn't have a terrible picture. And all those people trying desperately not to have any other humans in the shot are all coming out with really compromised <laughs> shots. And I'm like, no, no, swim with the current. That's genius of you. So, and I've yes. just seen, you just popped a lovely one there. It's funny, the, so you popped the video into our, our back channel chat and the still YouTube chose for that video is pretty much exactly what I'm describing. It's a whole bunch of human beings pointing at the sun, which is actually a, a sort of a black hole in the sky. Yeah. In fact, you know, that is so compelling, the audience's reaction that one second of my video made it into Google's year in search for that oh, year for wow. 2017. Uh, I'll, I'll put that link in too. It's, it's, uh, uh, I, so I've got um, my 15 minutes of fame are now uh, down to 14 minutes and 59 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I've used That's a second word. Well, that's great, though. And and it, it's you can't but be awed by um, you know by an eclipse. I, I don't think it's possible to be a human being and not be in awe of something so at a scale so cosmic, literally. Like I'm not even using that as hyperbole. It actually genuinely is. Yes, hmm? it, it really is uh, awe-inspiring. Yeah, totally. And by the way, we are going to see our third here in about two weeks. Yeah, which means this is great timing. So I'm getting to talk to you as your brain is mentally gearing up. So Mm -hmm. the last one you did was 2017. Yes. And I believe before that you did one on a boat, which is really asking for trouble when the earth is moving underneath you. Yes, that was my first time attempting time lapse. And uh, a boat is not where you want to... That's where I learned not boat is not ideal. Yeah, (laughs) no matter how good your tripod, when the actual (laughs) earth the tripod is on is moving, (laughs) all bets are off, right? I mean, you can fix it in post, I guess, but you're making a rod to beat yourself, you know. Which I tried to do in Final Cut with some motion compensation. It did okay, but there was so much much, um, motion on the boat, there's still motion I could not take out. Yeah. I mean, arguably you could go through frame by frame, you know, blinking back and forth and putting everything right. But yeah, you, you, you know, there's 20 of those in a second at least. Well, and the, I had the problem that the sun was moving close to the edge of the frame. So there was Ooh. really no way for the motion compensation to completely correct it. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, these boats, these darn waves, of course, you're zoomed in. So while it may not look like it's rocking too, you know, on deck, it may not look too bad. <laughs> Once you zoom in, yeah, all bets are off. Yeah, and that's the trade-off here. How much how much detail do you want to capture versus how much of the motion are you going to allow? 
And yeah. that's just, you know, one one for one trade off. And the wind, like, I mean, even, you know, if you start to zoom in a lot, you better have a darn solid tripod or you're going to start suffering. Yes. Yeah. And you don't want people moving around too much by the tripod. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the strange thing with eclipses is they tend to attract people. Right. Lots yeah, of people. I, I, I kind of cordoned off my tripod with a few extra backpacks and so forth to deter people from walking near it. Actually, and the other small little bonus tip, a lot of tripods have a hook underneath where you can attach a weight to keep make your tripod more secure. Definitely do that if you're doing a time lapse so that your tripod has every chance of surviving a knock. Ah, I haven't tried that one. Yeah, so most almost all tripods have that little hook. And it can be a convenient way to have your camera gear not easy for people to pinch. Just dangle it off the bottom of your tripod. It's holding your tripod in place and it's hard for them to steal. Good idea. Just in time. Yeah. I learned this the hard way after watching one of my tripods blow over, by the way, and smash my camera. Oh, oh no. It's very interesting footage. It's a steam train, a steam train, the top of the underside of a bridge, blackness. (laughs) Oh, no, Bart. It didn't hit the steam train, did it? It was off. off No, it was basically, it it, it was a really showery day, so I set my tripod up under a bridge. Oh, okay, the a two-arch bridge, so one arch for the canal, one for the railway line, and I thought, oh, I can use a bridge for framing, and I can stay dry, but the bridge was a wind tunnel. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and so while I was shooting stills, I heard the distinct sound of a clatter, oh. and I looked over oh. to find my camera lying face up, looking at the bottom of the bridge, and the, the video, just you just see wobble, 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 and then the whole world spins by 90 degrees, and then it goes dark. Did you ever post that video? I never had the heart to. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't believe I have some spectacular crashes from my drone that I, I just don't post that video either. Oh, of course. <laughs> Although yeah. I'm sure people would get a kick out of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. Actually, and drone footage, that's again, you're talking about your change of perspective. It's so fascinating how the normal, mundane, you know, conurbation you happen to live in takes on a whole new character if you can just see it from above, mm-hmm. like you just don't see it every day. You bet. Yeah. Okay, so you're off eclipse chasing in a week and a bit. Yes. So what is Steve Sheridan packing for this one? Well, I will do at least two and maybe three uh, videos of this. Uh, One will be the prime, uh, just the camcorder itself for the high Mm -hmm. zoom shot. One will be a GoPro, and I will probably have either another GoPro or my iPhone taking uh, a third shot. Uh, so I'll do it this a similar way as I did the previous, where I've got the zoom in and then the audience reaction. But mm-hmm. I think I want to also do what you were suggesting, and that is a wide angle view of the sun as it, you know, crosses through. Its, Mo- yeah, uh, moves. Some arc in the does sky. This thing. Yeah. Yeah, and what you can do another thing you can do there, which is kind of a neat effect, kind of related to time lapse, is take stills of that wide angle shot, um, and then. If you, I mean, this takes some photographic work, but if you can overlay them without blowing out the foreground, you can get the pictures, you know, little pictures of the sun as it traverses the sky. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen that effect. Yes, and I think the way you would generally do that is rather than stacking all the images, you would you would pick one with a good foreground, and then you would take only the sun through from the previous layers. Right, and position it appropriately in each of them. Yeah, I mean, shots. if your tripod isn't moving, it's actually just a simple layer of mask. Yeah, right. Good point. I, in fact, that is something I would like to do this time around, which I haven't had a chance before. Which is sort of a time lapse all in one, I guess. <laughs> you know, rather than <laughs> yeah. having the movement be a moving video, it's almost like a cartoon strip. You're telling the whole story in one still, but it's sort of video ish. Yeah, yeah. It's a collapsed time lapse. <laughs> yeah, we're really skirting the boundary between the two here, right? This, this—I don't right. even know what you'd call this, but it's—it's it's really, really skirting that line between motion picture and still photography. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, so um, Allison will will okay, let me point out one other thing about time lapse. Uh, okay, a consideration, and that is um, one th- with an eclipse and some other events that are kind of rare, uh, taking. Um, real-time photos can be can have a downside and that is you can miss the real-time viewing through your eyeballs 
Yes. Because you're busy composing the shot. You're busy adjusting your lens. You're, you're doing things while the event is occurring that draw your attention away from it. And that's not good when you have got two minutes or two and a half minutes of something spectacular. Yeah. The beauty of time-lapse video or photography, if you set it up correctly, is you can just, ideally, you set it up and you let it run. And you then go view in real time with your eyeballs the event. And then you come back and you turn off your video camera. You hit record or stop. Yeah, and give it allows the fact you to that do both. Given the fact that you don't want to move the camera, you're actually doing it right by stepping away. Yes. And that's that's the beauty of what I... One of the things I like about time lapse is I, I can uh, enjoy the actual event. The one exception for an eclipse is I have to... I have no way of automatically, I have to manually remove and then reapply that solar filter. Yes, because otherwise you'll destroy a camera and that's not worth it. Right. But that can take, that takes a couple seconds and that's worth it to me to, to be able to capture the sun before and after totality yet still view the event in real time. Yeah, and with my I mean, a lot of the really, really spectacular stuff is not going to be visible through that solar filter because it happens during those two minutes of totality or at the very, very boundary line of those minutes of totality where you have Bailey's beads and the diamond ring effect. And of course, during totality is the only time that we humans get to directly see the sun's corona and the wonderful wispy shapes that can be in there. Yes. And maybe, yes. depending on where the sun is in the sky, maybe some planets or stars, you know, depending on... On timing, Mercury often is quite close in the sky to the sun and during, you know, full daylight, you're not going to see it. But when full daylight is gone, Mercury can very often be visible during a solar eclipse. We didn't see Mercury, but we did see Venus during broad daylight, but eclipsed, totally eclipsed. I shouldn't say broad daylight. Now, now Venus is particularly bright. If If you're practiced, you can actually see Venus during broad daylight when there's no eclipse. I haven't been able to do that yet. A, a trick is if it's going to be happening. So a lot of times this will not a lot of times. This always happens slowly, right? The planets don't move instantaneously. So if you're in a situation where Venus is moving, ever, so it, it's moving from twilight into daylight. If you go out a little bit earlier every day and continue to sort of stretch where in the twilight you can see it, you will you will with as you get to learn its motion, you'll, you'll, you get to know exactly where to look for it and you'll find that you can actually get it in broad daylight if you know exactly where you're looking. Okay. I, I might try that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fun thing to do. I did it once to prove I could do it. And I was like, yes, okay, I've done that now. Tick. <laughs> I guess I could cheat and use my app too to find out exactly where Venus is. You could. And the other way is, as long as it's far enough away from the sun that this is a safe thing to do. And actually, here's a great tip if you're going to do this. Position yourself so the sun is behind something you can't see through and then use your binoculars to find Venus during the day. Oh, so stand in the yeah. shadow of your house or the shadow of a tree and then you can't screw up yeah. and blind yourself. Yeah, just make sure that whatever you're standing behind won't move. Yeah, or you don't stand there long enough that the sun moves. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But yeah, if you're ever going to mess around with binoculars in the sky during the daytime, put yourself in the shade and then you're yeah. safe. Yeah, good uh good advice. Um okay, so I would imagine that it will be a terribly bad idea for the first time you experiment with time lapse to be an actual eclipse. Yeah, I yeah, I would not do that. You, so, you know, you can do Go ahead. I was going to say, so do you have any suggestions? I mean, I, I've already suggested clouds as a fun and easy. I mean, they're, pretty much everyone has some of them at some time of the day. Not quite everyone. You guys may have very few of them. Uh, but most of planet Earth gets a few clouds. So it's an easy way to get your eye in, to figure out the techniques, to to learn the basics on a subject that you don't have to generally wait for. And that is perfectly happy to be there day after day after day while you go through your phase of being completely inept and, oh, this is how it works and eventually, you know, becoming practiced. Right. Is there anything else you could suggest people might play around with as a fun next step from like, you know, the really obvious stuff like like clouds or maybe traffic? Yeah, um, I, you know, there have been some construction projects around our house lately and I like to see how things develop over time ah. when there's a construction project. Now, 
it can depend a long a lot on how long the project is but for an example we had a fence built on the side of our house the old one hmm. taken out been here t- 25 years and a new one put in and i mounted a gopro on the eve of one of our roof roof lines hmm. and just set that up uh had that taken a shot i think every minute or two yeah. and uh over three days, I got a lot of frames and just put those together to make a, a time lapse of our fence being built. And it's kind of interesting. That is um, kind of cool. And just to see the thing, you know, blick, 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 you see all the, the panels go up and then you see the guy paint it, but very quickly. And it, it's just <laughs> a fun thing to watch. Yeah. I, I did a time lapse of myself putting our barbecue together. Yeah. Um, and you can you can pick just about anything that changes over time. But you'll want to think about, go ahead. A party or something. You know, if you're having a garden party, you know, that's going to happen mm-hmm. over the space of two or three hours as well within the battery life of a GoPro. You know, yeah. set it up watching your porch or wherever you're hosting your guests. And you'll, you know, you start off with just, you know, you putting out your, you know, your little bits and pieces. And then people start to show up and everyone's milling around. And then, yeah. you know, the food bowls dwindle down mm-hmm. and the bottles get emptier. And then everyone sods off when you're left with a giant big mess in your porch. Exactly. That's a perfect example. And you will notice things in a time lapse that you normally don't see. Again, back to what's interesting. You'll see mm-hmm. little groups form and then and diverge and then form over here and move oh, move here. You see you see movements and patterns and things that don't show up in real time. That's so interesting. It, it, you probably it's see fun to do. like like you can almost imagine David Attenborough talking about it, the herding behavior of the adult human. Yeah. <laughs> Notice how they collect at the food source. Yes, actually, or the alcohol source. <laughs> One of the two. Uh, you may know that uh, Allison, my better half, uh, washes cars a lot. Oh, yes. You probably heard you that. I did a, a time lapse of her washing and waxing her car. That would be funny, particularly the waxing. You know, it sort of goes, it starts off as dirty, not particularly shiny, yeah. and then it gets clean, and then it gets shiny. Yeah, exactly. It's. Yeah. Uh, just when we mentioned time lapses, like if you want to see the absolute state of the art, and I'm not suggesting this is easy to reproduce, but there's a David Attenborough series called The Secret Life of Plants, where they do month-long time lapses, or months-long, sometimes year-long even, of nature doing its thing. And some of them are only over the space of a few days, but like a, a bramble or a, a blackberry bush, um they actually, they want to climb on things and they sweep left and right until they touch something, which we don't see at a human speed because they sweep like left one day, right the next day, left one day. But when you see and a month's worth of stuff at a time, they really are waving over and back and then they find something and then they wrap around it. Oh, uh, climbing vines and such. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so okay. It, Sometimes these plants, you'll see them follow the sun back and forth. I don't know if yes, that's what was happening. Yes, uh, I believe the French word for a sunflower literally means turning the sun. Huh. Yeah. Because cause they do that. So they start in the morning looking east and they end the day looking west. Yeah, well, I, I would watch anything Attenborough narrates. Yeah, yes. To be honest, yes, he could read the phone book to me and I'd be quite enthralled. Yes. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, it's quite old. I mean, it was absolute, absolute state of the art when it was recorded, but it, it's either 90s or I doubt it was 80s because I was old enough to remember it. But it, I think it was 90s. And at that stage, the concept of time lapse was ooh, esoteric. And it took them years to make because some of the time lapses are a British forest taken through the space of a year. And so you see the whole, you know, spring, summer, winter autumn as we call it fall as you call it winter comes in and then back to spring so it's sort of like 14 months worth of time lapse over the space of 30 seconds or something oh yeah that would be fascinating you know there are some similar shots like that in uh netflix has a special a series called uh our planet i think it was narrated by david attenborough that is on my um that is on my my list waiting for me to enjoy it so i might promote that a little bit higher up my list it's spectacular. It's you've probably seen Planet Earth, which yes. he also narrated. This is similar, but a little more focus on uh, the fragility of our planet and wildlife, and and things we might want to consider as we right. uh, are not treating it well sometimes. But in that in that special, he they have videography just like you were describing, where they're showing a scene of a mountain 
top or and you see the change over seasons from the very same perspective time lapse over seasons i don't know how they do that um perfectly still shot and and sometimes it's over multiple seasons i presume they would have a hide there where they just have equipment for years they they must and boy that takes some dedication and yeah uh, Actually, one of the interesting ones, if you buy the DVD or, you know, I guess probably the same on a streaming service, that there's often at the end of an Attenborough series a making of one hour long documentary. And that can be mm-hmm. as fascinating as the individual episodes of the documentary. That was certainly true for Planet Earth. And it was also true for The Secret Life of Plants. All right, we'll have to look for that. I haven't seen the uh, the special, the making of, of either. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, the, the, the Anbra stuff is always pushing the edges of technology as well as yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's spectacular from a geeky nerd perspective and from a subject perspective and just from a craft perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the man doesn't do it by half. No, he doesn't. He's a professional. Yeah, Steve. Um, I, we're sort of getting, we, we've been chatting for quite some time now, so is there something I should have asked you and that I didn't? Good question. I think I've gone through most of my notes and the, and the points that I wanted to make, but just going out and giving it a try and, and playing with the exposure times and playing with the number of frames on everyday activities, assuming something changed, is a good way to jump into time-lapse photography or videography. And I encourage anyone to do it. And remember that all you need is a modern smartphone. And if you have an iPhone, you can use the built-in camera app. If you have a different brand of phone, your app store is bound to have many time-lapse apps for you to pick and choose from and to experiment with. And I would definitely say experiment away on stuff that's everyday and normal and have fun with that. And then when something really fun happens, some sort of event, then you're all prepped, you're all geared up, you know how the thing works, and then you can have some real fun on a rare and special subject i agree with that 100 percent. okay well i guess we'll draw a line under it there's going to be links in the show notes to all the stuff we've talked about steve thank you ever so much for um sharing a chunk of your friday with me and um, i really appreciate it my pleasure bart we uh we should do this again i really enjoyed it well i if i'm always game for a conversation um (laughs) if either of us come up with the topic i would definitely be delighted to have you back um definitely 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 just another thing to say um do you want to tell the listeners somewhere they can find more of your work Um, is is the easiest thing to follow you on twitter or maybe your youtube channel where's the best place for people to to see what you get up to yeah, I think uh, my Twitter handle, SP Sheridan, uh, is one of the best ways. If I've generally, if I've produced a video and put it on YouTube, I will tweet it out. You yeah. can just search my YouTube channel, Steve Sheridan. And I also occasionally will do a blog post on podfeet.com uh, regarding time lapse or other videos. That, that so I, I guess, of course, by following you on Twitter, it doesn't matter where you've shared it, you're always going to tweet it. Yes, the one. Yes, in fact, sometimes I'll put it on Twitter, and I haven't put it on YouTube yet, like <laughs> one of these videos. <laughs> like the Perfect, monitor. excellent, Steve. Thank you very much. Safe travels to um, Chile, and uh, best of luck with the eclipse. Thank you very much, Bart. I'm really looking forward to it. And that brings another episode of the Let's Talk Photography podcast to a close. I just want to thank Steve again for an extremely enjoyable interview, and hopefully we get to hear Steve on the show again in the future. Uh, Last thing before we wrap up, just to say that you'll find show notes at lets-talk.ie. And while you're there, you'll notice a collection of big blue buttons under a heading Support the Show. First off, thank you to everyone who does, has, and continues to support the show. Your help is very much appreciated. Um, there's a couple of different ways to help. First off, just to remind people that you can help simply by telling people about the show. Review it in your podcaster of choice, tweet about it, message it on whatever, Facebook or whatever sort of stuff you talk about, you know, where you talk among your friends, any social media. Just spread the word, actual human beings and meet space even. Uh, that really does help the show to spread the word and also to review it and give it a star rating or whatever in various podcatchers. 
Uh, you can support the show in more practical ways by becoming a patron of the show over at Patreon. The way it works is you pledge a small dollar amount per episode released. It's one Patreon for both Lester Kaplan and Sock Photography, so there's exactly two shows every month. So if you'd like to give me $2 a month, pledge $1. You get the idea. Um, the Patreon money is great because it's a regular income coming in at the end of every month, along with the bills that arrive at the end of every month. And I basically take the Patreon money and I pour it into the whole creator by the bills. And on the whole, it comes quite close to equaling out, which is fantastic. There's also a PayPal button, which is great for one-off larger donations. I use those to basically deal with the sundry expenses that come from podcasting, software licenses, um, you know, hardware, mics, boom stands, you know, the, the practicalities that make a podcast go. And so thank you to everyone who is a patron on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who has donated via the PayPal button. You guys make this show possible. There are no advertisers. It's just you guys that make this thing go. So thank you very much. Anyway, you'll find all that at lets-talk.ie. Until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This is Mike's computer. I really think you need to listen to Geekiest Show Ever. Melissa, Elisa and Mike work really hard to make a good podcast that will last the test of time. They are smart, informative and concise. Who am I kidding? They show up and talk for an hour or so and I have to listen to their dribble. I beg you listen to the podcast so I feel like my life has meaning and I won't go into a kernel panic and end it all. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network.